0: You are listening to The Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Tim, so welcome to the Hemp Startup Journey Podcast. Been looking forward to speaking with you. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jason. Excited to be here. Um, let's see. So um, there were, I believe that we connected on LinkedIn. Um, there were, uh, I think, uh, LinkedIn... That its voodoo magic in the background and said, you know, you guys should <laughs> should connect and uh, looked at your profile. You had some really good experience uh, regarding um, veterinary medicine and looks like you have your own uh, CBD company. So I'd like to dig into that. Uh, but um, before we get into all of that, when you meet somebody at, uh, I guess you were recently at one of the, the CBD conferences in California, in, uh, Vegas, uh, the MJBiz conference. So when somebody asks you, hey, Tim, nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you respond to that?
1: Well, I'm telling them that my background is I'm a veterinarian, I practice in general, emergency, and critical care medicine, and my perspective has always been that as a healthcare practitioner, we have a duty to our clients and patients to explore all therapeutic avenues. And if cannabis has health benefits, then we have a moral and ethical duty to determine how it can improve the lives of our patients. And so I saw how well it worked for people, and I really wanted to be able to find out how we can apply those benefits to animals. And so in 2015, I started my company, Vet CBD. And the goal of that company has always been to be able to integrate cannabinoid therapeutics into veterinary medicine for the benefit of our patients.
0: So th- let's dive right in. You said a, a lot of things I'd like to dig into a little bit more. So typically, um, medicine in the United States is pretty conservative, right? For, for good reasons. Um, but, uh, what was the catalyst? What, what made you say, you know, that there's something here, because um, most of the physicians that I speak with, and and just folks in, in the medical world, uh, they're still very hesitant. There, there are a few more folks that are kind of coming onto the to the concept of cannabis and and hemp. Uh, but uh, what was it for you? How did you say like there's probably a benefit here? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than just cannabis, because when we think about why cannabis works, we have to really look at the endocannabinoid system. And so the endocannabinoid system is something that's present in humans, it's present in animals, and you can think of it similar to how you might think of the endocrine system. And the endocrine system is the system that uh, is responsible for creating and regulating your hormones. The endocannabinoid system is something that is intertwined with all other systems in our body. So whether it's the nervous system, uh, the circulatory system, you know, bone, skin, muscle, digestive tract, the endocannabinoid system plays a role in all those systems. And so when we look at that, we have to realize that there's an entire avenue of medicine here that hasn't really been studied. You know, it was actually only discovered in the early 90s. So we really need to be able to dive into this and see exactly what this is and how we can utilize this to our patients' benefits. And so that's where cannabis comes in because it interacts with this endocannabinoid system. And through this interaction with the endocannabinoid system, we're able to achieve all kinds of clinical benefits for patients.
0: Okay. Um, And was there for you personally, was that just reading an article and and realizing that there's some benefits here or was it talking to somebody or maybe seeing one of your patients? Um, Just curious on a personal level, how you got to that point?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the big things uh, that was a driving force for me was that... You know, when I was in practice, the reality is that a lot of the medications that we commonly prescribe can have some serious potential side effects. So for example, there are some commonly prescribed pain medications that some of the potential side effects include things like liver damage, kidney damage, or GI ulceration. And when you're constantly prescribing those medications and you're warning owners about those potential side effects, a lot of times owners don't feel comfortable about that. You know, we've all heard stories about where medicine was used to treat something that was a side effect of another medication that was used to treat a condition. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I didn't want that for my patients. Um, You know, and so I looked at different alternatives that could be available that could that, you know, also worked uh, because, you know, there are a lot of, you know, proposed alternative solutions out there that have shown uh, that haven't shown efficacy that haven't been shown to work. So for me, I wanted something that was able to work effectively. But also be safe for patients. And, you know, I saw this in, you know, one of my older dogs when she was still around was that she was sensitive to certain medications and, you know, she had debilitating arthritis. But, you know, I was hesitant to put her on some of these medications that could potentially cause things like organ damage or GI ulceration. And so that's when I really looked into cannabis and took a deep dive on it and saw that, you know, when it's dosed and formulated properly, it can be remarkably safe.
0: Mm-hmm. Roughly what year was that when you started to experiment and look into it? That was late 2014. 2014. And so when you decided to start implementing it in your practice, did you get any kind of pushback, um, from whether it's your patients or maybe coworkers or was everybody pretty receptive of that concept?
1: Well, once I, once I started the company, I actually retired from practice, okay. so I haven't, uh, I haven't incorporated into practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the laws are actually fairly strict around that. Uh, veterinarians actually can't incorporate cannabinoid therapeutics into their practice yet. You know, that's unfortunate because there's a lot of patients that could benefit from that. And there's a lot of uh, situations where owners need to be able to receive that information directly from veterinarians, but they're not getting that information. Now having said that, when I first started the company, we did receive a lot of pushback. And the reason why is because veterinarians and, you know, same thing with physicians, they really didn't learn anything about the endocannabinoid system or cannabis as a therapeutic. What they learned about was, you know, the potential toxicity of cannabis. And so, with that kind of mindset, there was pushback from the veterinary community um, because they didn't understand what cannabinoid therapeutics were, or what they were capable of, and how they could be used to interact with the endocannabinoid system to produce therapeutic benefits. Now, fast forward to today, that's changed drastically. We're talking to veterinarians every single day that can't get enough information, primarily because clients are coming up to them and saying, "Hey, you know, I've been using this on my dog or cat, and it's been working amazing. You know, the the seizures have." drastically gone down or their mobility has increased uh, or, you know, it's been able to help control their GI symptoms by decreasing their nausea or helping with their appetite. And so we're seeing veterinarians all the time want to learn more about this and learn how they are able to utilize this to the benefit of their patients.
0: So that's good information, just that vets cannot incorporate this into their practice. So um, is there when the vets are reaching out to you and your company, um, like practically, what kind of advice are you providing to them? Or like, I guess, how could they incorporate it? Is this something where they just say, oh, well, to, to their um, patients, well, you can just try it on your own or do they sell it in their own practices? How, how's, how does that practically work with having cannabis?
1: Well, the biggest thing is for them to be able to provide information to their clients. So, you know, for the things like clinical applications, because there's a lot of claims out there that cannabis can be used for anything and everything. um, And that's inaccurate. You know, cannabis can be used for a lot of things, which is one of the most remarkable things about it is that, you know, it's not specifically used for just one ailment, like, say, seizures, Uh, but, you know, we've seen it be used for different things from whether it's pain or anxiety, inflammatory conditions or nausea or seizures. Uh, It can be used for a wide variety of ailments. Now, it's important for the veterinarian and the physician to be able to understand that so that they can accurately relay that information to their clients. And then they can also tell them about the importance of things like testing to make sure that the potency that's on the label is actually what's reflected in the product itself and to make sure that the product's also tested for things like pesticides, solvents, heavy metals, microbials, and mycotoxins. So, providing that information is one of the most beneficial things that a doctor can do for
0: their clients yeah can you talk a little bit more about that testing um for as much um information as it has been coming out uh last year 2019 about uh testing i feel like that that's still we're still not seeing enough in the industry about uh understanding what we should be testing for or as a consumer what we should be looking for Um, so the, the specific directive that you're educating the veterinarians on is what, like so just to look on the, the bottle or is it to ask the retailer for COAs or how, how can they practically educate their patients and their I guess the owners of their patients about uh, testing and verifying that something is gonna be safe?
1: Yeah. So there's really two sides to it. You know, one is the regulated cannabis market and then the other is the hemp market. Um, The hemp market is more or less unregulated in terms of the regulated cannabis market. So, for example, um, on, you know, we have two lines. We have Vet CBD, which is our cannabis line. And then we have Dr. Shoe's Pet Care, which is our hemp line. Now, for Vet CBD, it's in the regulated California cannabis market. So what that means is that from start to finish, it has to go through, you know, a licensed cult. To a licensed manufacturer, through a licensed distributor, to a licensed retailer, and along the way, what we do is we triple test the product. So the source extract material will do a full, what's called a full phase three panel testing, and what that includes is includes potency. So we know what kind of cannabinoids in there and how much cannabinoids is in there, and then we also test it for pesticides, residual solvents, heavy metals, uh, mycotoxins, and microbials. And then along the way of production, we also test it again for potency to make sure that we're exactly on point with whatever is going to be on the label. And then before it hits the retailers, it actually has to get tested again for phase three compliance. And so, again, what we'll do is test it for potency, pesticides, solvents, microbials, mycotoxins and heavy metals. That way, the consumer knows that they're getting safe, clean, consistent material every single time they purchase the product. Now, on the hemp side of things, there is no requirement for testing. So what that means is that a hemp product that someone buys online or picks up off the shelf at their local grocery store is not under any sort of requirement to do any sort of testing, and so that's where some people have seen issues. Is that um, you know there was a 2017 U Penn study that looked at different CBD products that were out in the market, and they found that up to 70% of them were actually mislabeled. So what that means is if you know the label said 100 milligrams, then 100 milligrams wasn't necessarily what you got in the product. You may have gotten 50 milligrams, or you may have gotten 75 milligrams, or in some cases you got zero milligrams. They actually did. Find some products actually didn't contain any cannabinoids so it's really important that when you're looking at the hemp side of things you know it's a company that actually does go undergo routine testing for every single batch that they produce so that way you know that you're getting clean safe consistent material
0: well, curious about your experience so where when we speak with uh the end user the the, the customer um they don't, there's not much information, there's not much education about what they should be looking for. Uh, most of the time they just hear from their mom or friend or sister or somebody and they say like, oh, you gotta try CBD. But do, do you see that the same, do you have that experience as well where a lot of folks just don't have that experience other than just, oh, I need to be trying CBD. Do, do any folks come to you knowing that they should be looking for uh, these lab results to make sure that the product contains what it says it does and that it's safe?
1: Yeah, you know, everything in this industry is still very early stage, so the consumers are are starting to figure out you know what they should be looking for and the reality is that the market moves faster than regulations and laws and research and education so it's really up to the consumer to be able to get it to speed um, you know on what they should be looking for and what they're using it for um, you know fortunately there are a lot of companies and a lot of brands out there that are able to produce accurate reliable information that's you know backed by science backed by medicine. To be able to provide this information to help guide these clients okay. and patients.
0: I'm not sure how it is with the cannabis side, uh, but with hemp, there's some uh, USDA regulation that has been kind of causing an uproar lately. And one of those pieces is that um, all hemp is supposed to be tested by a DEA um, uh, approved lab. Um, do you know, are you aware of that uh, proposed legislation? Um,
1: yeah, I mean the it's a, the industry moves so fast that you know basically the laws change from month to month. Um,
0: and just curious if you think that does that address some of these issues about testing, or could that cause a potential harm in that uh, just funneling all of these let's say cultivators and extractors down to just a handful of labs and not getting out getting lab results quickly enough to be able to satisfy the market.
1: Well, I mean, there's a couple issues um, that be that can be there. Uh, one is that you know uh, sometimes you will get results different uh, from lab to lab. You know, for example, you may get the same sample and you may send it out to five different labs and get five different results. And, you know, when we're looking at 0.3% THC, we have to understand that that's a completely arbitrary limit. Um, you know, there's, there's no scientific backing on, on why 0.3% is 0.3%. It's, it's completely arbitrarily chosen. So you know that's a that's an area that's a moving target, and I'm sure we'll see that uh, develop more over yeah, the next couple of years.
0: Because um, I guess different parts of the world have different uh, limits. I guess some parts in Europe have uh, was like oh, one, and some right. parts have a little bit less. Um, just wondering if anyone has uh, done any kind of research or study, or or I don't know if, if, if do you have any input on what you think that limit should be for a THC on a hemp product.
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, yeah. uh, it's tricky. Some parts of the world, it's less than 0.2%. Sometimes it's less than 1%. And these, are, these numbers are chosen yeah. completely arbitrarily. And when you're looking at it, well, those are the numbers according to the dry weight of the flour. Um, but if you're actually producing something that say that is 0.3% THC, um, and then only, you know, maybe one to 3% CBD, when you extract that the concentrate that you make is going to be far higher than 0.3 mm-hmm. percent thc and that's one of the elephants in the room that no one's really talking about is what happens when you extract that material and it becomes concentrated and that thc concentration is greater than 0.3 percent yeah
0: um i feel like that's that's there and, and <laughs> nobody is officially talking about it probably just because there's so many th- other things that um people are worried about um but uh, let's see, just to switch gears for a second, uh, one of the things that we briefly talked about um, before was uh, THC and pets. And you mentioned that one of the things that you see often is that there's this uh, demonization with THC and pets. And the, some folks believe that, oh, well, no, pets shouldn't touch uh, THC whatsoever. Can you talk a little bit about that and help to educate on what, how we should consider a THC in, uh, with pets?
1: Yeah there's this misconception uh, out there amongst you know health professionals pet owners that you know THC is something that is you know terribly toxic it's poisonous and that's not case. That's not the case. That's not true. THC absolutely has medicinal benefits. We know that it can be very beneficial for things like pain relief, for nausea relief, for appetite stimulation. Um, it can be used for anti-inflammatory purposes, and it also has anti-cancer properties. The key that's really, really important is to be able to make sure that you dose it and formulate it properly, so that animals are not getting the side effects from THC. Some species of animals, like dogs, for example, are a bit more sensitive to THC because they have a higher concentration of CB1 receptors in a part of their brain called their cerebellum. Now, that's not to say that they can't utilize THC. They absolutely can. It just needs to be dosed and formulated properly for them so that they're able to benefit from it. Uh, Since 2015, we've utilized THC in all our products um, and we've helped tens of thousands of patients, whether they're dogs, cats, horses, birds, rabbits, guinea pigs, Uh, we've had pigs, ferrets, uh, rats, you name it. Ah, uh, they've all been able to find benefit from CBD and THC. But the most important thing is that it's dosed and formulated
0: properly. Gotcha. Is there how do you educate somebody about um, dose the correct dosage? Is it a weight issue or or a breed or a type of animal? How do you right? It's
1: primarily that? by weight. Um, you know, for a lot of our, our pets, uh, they they can vary. Quite a bit in weight. You know, you can have a, a 10 pound Chihuahua, uh, you can have a 150 pound Husky. You know, and so their dosage is ne- not going to be the same. Now, having said that, one of the mm-hmm. most remarkable things that we see with cannabinoid therapeutics is that you know it doesn't strictly go by weight. For example, we can have some pets that are the exact same weight. You know, say for example, um, you know, two Labs that are 70 pounds. And, you know, they may be using it for the exact same condition, but one may use much less than the other. And one of them may be able to use it one time a day where another may be needing it twice a day. So each individual patient is going to vary in terms of the dose that they need. Um, so that's why what we always educate people on is to be able to start low and go slow. So what that means is start at a lower level and gradually titrate it upwards to find the m- most efficient, most uh Optimal dose for that patient and for their uh, that patient's condition.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and let's see for for these patients, how long does it seem to take for uh, I guess the pet owner to respond and say like, "Oh, it looks like it's working." Is it something where you've noticed? Anecdotally, maybe it's a a couple of days, a week or two. Just curious in in your world how quickly it seems to take effect.
1: Well, when you have the right dose, it'll take effect within a couple of hours. Now, finding the right dose may sometimes Mm. take a couple of days. But once a owner finds the right right dose for that pet and for their condition, you should see the effects and the benefits of it within a couple of hours after ingestion.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And it, are there things that somebody should be looking out for it to, uh, that could be an indicator that something is not working? Yet, or maybe that it's doing more harm than good? Is there such a thing? Well,
1: what we're looking for, because you know animals can't talk to us and they can't tell us how they're feeling, is we're looking for resolution of clinical signs. So, for example, one of the most common uses for cannabinoid therapeutics in pets is for things like pain, especially when it comes to arthritis and lameness. And so, what we evaluate is resolution of those clinical clinical signs so for example a pet that had difficulty getting up in the morning or that was only able to go for a walk for a block you know are they able to you know have increased mobility are they now able to go for uh, a walk for 2 or 3 blocks you know do you know grade their lameness you know how severe is their lameness and are we seeing it improve uh, certainly some conditions are much easier to gauge than others you know for example with seizures we have a lot of people that actually track their pet's seizures You know, so if their pet's having a seizure every single day and they see that after starting cannabis, it's being reduced to maybe once a week or once a month, then they're able to see improvement. So gauging clinical signs and assessing those signs are the most important things when it comes to pets.
0: Okay. You know, one of my favorite stories, and it just never gets old, is uh, talking to a pet owner and uh, the person relaying a story of how they're pet was in whatever you know pain or had some uh, physical issues and they uh, started w- using hemp products and over a span of a few days then all of a sudden their pet is just running around like crazy and seemed like it's just found a new life and that uh, always puts a smile on my face like I, I love hearing those stories and i'm sure that you've um had your company for a few years curious if you have any stories to share about some of these improvements that you've seen in some of your um clients and, and patients and whether that's with cannabis or with hemp products
1: yeah so you know you you really hit the nail on the head is that a lot of times we will actually see some pretty remarkable turnarounds um you know the most drastic ones that we've seen are ones where the patient was suffering from epilepsy and they were having severe grand mal seizures on a daily basis despite being on anti-seizure medications and so the owners were at the point where they were actually considering euthanasia because the quality of life was so poor Uh, they didn't want to see their pets suffering through so many seizures on a daily basis and so they actually turned to cannabis as a last resort Uh, they said you know Why not try cannabis, you know, I mean that that's it's better than dying, right? And so they actually try cannabis as a last resort and a lot of times these cases it drastically reduced their seizures. You know, some of these people that we talked to, um, you know, they were having full-blown grandma seizures on a daily basis and it went down to something like, you know, a lot of times once a month or sometimes once every couple of months and that's a huge change in the quality of life and quite literally these pets lives were saved through cannabis. Um, Some of the other cases Mm -hmm. that we see are a lot of elderly patients where, you know, the owners were so concerned about their ability to get around and their mobility that they were, again, considering euthanasia because the quality of life was no longer there. And that's when they turned to cannabis and saw what, you know, saw remarkable turnarounds in terms of the, the patient's pain control and able to, and their ability to get around and, you know, move comfortably. And so we've seen cannabis extend the life of a lot of these patients and improve the quality of life of a lot of these patients.
0: That's amazing. Um, love hearing those stories. I, I just saw a meme a couple of days ago, French shared, and it said something to the effect of, um, I have about four or five people that I like, that I know, and about five to 600 pets on the internet that I've, I've never met. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think we have this uh, just love and appreciation for animals. And uh, I think to be able to give something like this to them and just get some vitality back in their lives is pretty incredible. And just curious if if you care to share, just wondering if you feel that impact that you're offering to to these pets. Just wondering if that, that how I don't know. Just curious how you feel about that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of the most amazing things is because the the way we view it um, as a company, you know, we're not here to sell people product. What we're here to do is improve their pets' lives and help their pets live their best lives. And to be able to see that on a daily basis is just nothing short of remarkable. Um, And, you know, this is something that, you know, years ago, a lot of people, you know, frowned on it saying, oh, you know, it's just cannabis or it's just snake oil. Um, But, you know, fast forward to today and we're seeing so many pets benefit from it. And it's just something that's absolutely amazing to see.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Let's see. So switch gears a little bit. With uh you've been in the industry for a few years now um we're right now we're recording this at the beginning of t- two thousand and twenty, and just curious where you see the uh let's we can start off with the hemp industry, where you see the hemp industry going in the next twelve months? like what are some of the big things that you see possibly coming down the line?
1: Yeah. You know, it's uh, interesting because things change so fast a month in the cannabis or the hemp Mm -hmm. industry is really like two or three years in any other industry. And it's (laughs) it's such a unique industry because it's a CPG industry, but it moves at a tech industry pace. You know, so for example, CBD Mm -hmm. was all the rage in 2019. But now in 2020, everyone's looking for the next big thing. And so people are selling CBG, CBN, CBC, and now CBT is the new kid on the block. And it's really interesting because the market moves faster than the research and the laws. But to answer your question, some of the things that we'll see for sure are increased accessibility as the laws change. And we'll also see decreased pricing due to commoditization. But we'll also see front runners of the industry avoid commoditization by innovating. Any company that looks to be in this industry long term really needs to evaluate how they're allocating capital towards R and D. Because the reality is that this industry is still in its startup phase. We're at the tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding the full potential of cannabinoid therapeutics. And CBD is all the rage now. But five years from now, it could be one of the other 150 cannabinoids or a compound that has yet to be discovered. You know, in fact, it was just recently announced the other week that researchers had discovered two new cannabinoids, THCP and CBDP. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, eventually they'll need to start changing the names because they're going to start running out of letters to use. (laughs)
0: um what now so looking into that and and i've started to just refer to the product as just hemp instead of cbd i think when i came into the industry that was the term right cbd but there's obviously so much more um just curious what are the things in the, the industry that people are not talking enough about do you have any perspective on that? Yeah,
1: I think uh, you know there needs to be more research. You know, like I said, the market moves faster than the research, the education, and the laws. Uh, you know, we we're talking about um, the cannabis plant, and you know, when I when I say cannabis, you know, I refer to it as you know marijuana and hemp. Um, you know, they're are all cannabis uh, plants. Um, the, mm-hmm. the The fact is that you know we're talking about a pharmacological treasure trove. This is a plant that has over five hundred different. Pharmacological active components to it. Um, you know the cannabinoids. Uh, in terms of you know, years ago we thought that there were eighty cannabinoids, and then that in number increased to about one hundred twenty cannabinoids, and now it's at one hundred fifty cannabinoids. And we're talking about you know not just cannabinoids, but things you know, like terpenes and flavonoids. And you know this is an amazing plant that has so much capability, so much potential. Uh, but you know the research is really lagging behind other aspects like the market. You know like I mentioned you know people are starting to sell cbt isolate well what is cbt isolate for no one knows you know there's there's no research behind it uh, but the product is available so really what we need to do is focus mm-hmm. on the research and find out how these products are able to potentially benefit consumers
0: and i don't even know if you can answer this question but at which point does research satisfy uh, the question of, well, there, there's not enough research, and we, which yeah, I agree with, but um, is it something where somebody has to uh, create a giant clinical study, double-blind test, and all that kind of stuff, uh, or is it um, a study published and major news organizations putting it out there to the world where it catches virality? Um, I've just been thinking about that question lately, and I don't know what the answer is.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you can always make the argument that there's not enough research or there's there's not enough clinical studies behind something because the truth is that we could always have more um, now, does there need to be more? Absolutely. Um, now, are there clinical studies out there? There absolutely are. You know, so to, to say that there's not any clinical studies or there's not any research or evidence out there is not true. Um, you know, there are a lot of clinical studies out there that have been f- performed, whether it's, you know, for things like uh, arthritis or epilepsy uh, or anxiety. You know, we do have evidence out there that cannabinoid therapeutics can be very beneficial for a number of conditions. Uh, but to answer your question, we do need, more more large-scale, you know, uh, double-blind, placebo-controlled, uh, randomized clinical trials that are performed by large, reputable universities.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I know that uh, the University of South Carolina has been doing a lot of research uh, for, I think, I don't know, 15, 20 years or so. Uh, Some pretty remarkable uh, studies that they found. I was at a conference last year and the director of research, uh, Dr. Nagarkati, had some really amazing things talking about cancer. IBS was one that I didn't realize that uh, hemp, and I think they also studied cannabis or just marijuana as well, uh, that it helps. But um, it, it seemed like there was not enough attention to some remarkable findings that they had published out to the world like they, they weren't holding it close to them to their heart to their hearts you know they were just saying hey world here it is but uh just not enough um attention for whatever reason out to yeah there's
1: a lot of really interesting potential uses for cannabis, Um, you mentioned IBS, Um, anything that involves excessive inflammation or irritation, you know, there's potential for it because the endocannabinoid system is involved in regulation. It's involved in homeostasis, meaning for, you know, when it comes to inflammation, it prevents there from being too much or too little inflammation. And certainly in, you know, situations like IBS or IBD, there's excessive amounts of inflammation. You know, even things like allergies where there's excessive amounts of inflammation, there's potential for cannabinoid therapeutics to benefit allergy patients certainly in a lot of the dogs that we've worked with over the years we have seen um, patients benefit from use of cannabinoids to help control their allergies so for dogs you know one of the common things that they get is what's called atopy and that's skin allergies and we've seen a number of patients actually really benefit from cannabinoid therapeutics in decreasing the inflammation that they're going through
0: really interesting so allergies are a function of inflammation in the body
1: is that right 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 so basically what happens is you know you you get something benign that shouldn't normally cause anything like you know pollen or danders and the body overreacts thinking can get some sort of invader and so it triggers the immune system to start attacking things that normally it shouldn't you know even be concerned with and that's where you get allergies huh,
0: really interesting is there uh, we won't be going off track but just curious because a lot of folks that I know they seem to over time develop an allergy to something that they used to consume or use all the time uh like my wife just got some hives the other day for something that she had been using forever. Um is there a reason why the body in a way seems to turn on itself? <laughs> it's
1: strange, you know, and it's something that we're, we're still understanding. Um, you know, the, the body is an incredibly complex system and there's so many different pieces involved that we're still learning about so many different things. You know, the endocannabinoid system was only discovered 30 years ago and it's such an intricate part of, you know, you know, our physiology that we're constantly learning more and more about things like the immune system and how allergies play a role in our lives.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Let's see, Tim, switching gears a little bit um, before we have to go. I uh, want to make sure that, to respect your time here. But um, do you have any um, – well, step back for a second. So uh, I, throughout these conversations, I'd like to make sure to humanize the person that I'm that, um, putting on the podcast, uh, we're more than just a group of people, right? We're individuals and, and we have skill sets and great qualities. And I think we also have uh, learned a few things along the way. I certainly have myself. Just curious if there are any lessons learned that you'd like to share about your time in the industry, anything, um, whether it's a mistake that you've been through or something that you uh, had a misconception about with cannabis in general, or whether it's a business lesson. I'm curious if there's anything there that you'd like to share sure you know I mean this is a
1: completely new industry that's being developed and while cannabis is not something that's new you know it's been cultivated around the world for thousands and thousands of years but the world has never seen cannabis and hemp scale to the scope and depth that we're at today and so there's pitfalls left and right and you have to really be able to roll with the punches you know like we talked about earlier laws change pretty much on a monthly basis um, you know so you know what was uh, you know one case uh, next month is completely different Um, and so you really have to be adaptable and you have to be purpose-driven or you're going to get swallowed up by the challenges that a young rapidly developing industry faces
0: Mm -hmm. one of the things that i often see and every once in a while i'm susceptible to this is that there's so many possibilities and opportunities and new things coming out and you know such and such companies is doing this and uh, the the natural tendency to say like, oh, well, I want to try that. like I want to do that. Or you know, here's this company. I want to be able to compete with them. And there, there are probably way too many avenues to be successful in all of them as opposed to finding a niche or a focus and going after that and making the best possible whatever product or company that you can.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, you know, it's, it's really important to be able to have a long term vision of what you want to do. And, you know, what you want to be able to provide your customers, you know, if you're if you're just chasing the next fad, the next big thing, um, then you're really looking at playing the finite game, you know, it's it's very much short term goals. Uh, but what you want to do is you want to play the infinite game, you want to have long term vision and long term goals, and really look at how you want to be able to improve Your customers' quality of life. Mm
0: -hmm. With your companies, is there um, anything that you guys are that that you're willing to talk about that you're coming out with soon, or anything that you want people to know about your companies?
1: Yeah, you know, some of the different things is that um, you know we're, we're looking at specific formulations that are able to target specific conditions for specific species um, you know certainly a lot of new cannabinoids are available on the market now and what we're doing is looking at the different potential uses of those cannabinoids uh, and the method of delivery you know so whether that's uh, an oral application or if it's a topical application but you know for us really our approach to the industry is a four-pronged approach um, the CPG aspect of it which is producing and providing the product for the consumer to be able to improve their life Lives, but also, we focus heavily on research. You know, we want to be able to really drive forward the understanding and the value of cannabinoid therapeutics and how we can apply it to medicine. We also focus on education because education is one of the most crucial uh Aspects of this industry, uh, and that there's not enough education out there. So, you know, we talk to veterinarians all the time, and, you know, because veterinarians didn't learn about this in school, they, you know, are not up to speed on what the endocannabinoid system is or the clinical application of cannabinoid therapeutics. And same thing on the human side, same thing with the physicians. They didn't learn about cannabinoid therapeutics or the endocannabinoid system in school. Um, a lot of schools still aren't teaching about it, you know, or if they do, it, it's very, very brief. And you can imagine if you went went to your doctor and you said, you know, Hey, what's this, uh, that I hear about the endocrine system, you know, what, what are hormones, you know, what, what does insulin do? What's testosterone, what's estrogen. And your doctor said, you know what? I don't know anything about it. I didn't learn anything about it in school. Um, you would think that that's crazy, right? Uh, but that's mm-hmm. where we're at right now. You know, when we're going to, to our doctor and saying, you know, you know, what's this I hear about anandamide or, or 2-AG, um, you know, or, or could there be misformed, uh, you know, endocannabinoid receptors and things like that. And, you know, we're at the point where our doctors say, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I didn't learn about that in school. And so for us, education is a real crucial component about this, you know, all the way from, um, you know, the the producers and the industry to the doctors and to the clients and the patients. Um, So that's something that we focus heavily on. And then also legislative reform, because this is an industry that's coming out of the prohibition era. Um, And, you know, we're still stuck uh, in a lot of ways behind the the laws of, uh, you know, old. Um, You know, a lot of veterinarians don't feel comfortable providing education or information to their clients. Um, And we want to change that, you know, because the the best information should be coming from the doctors. Uh, And we want uh, we want uh, doctors to be able to feel comfortable discussing those issues and providing that information to their clients.
0: Okay and I think you mentioned it a little bit a little bit earlier, but uh, it, i just find it interesting that what you're saying is that there could potentially be a slightly different maybe strain or or have or cannabis profile for let's say a bird versus a dog. Is that kind of what you're saying about like uh, specific meeting specific conditions by species? Right
1: because we know that you know all vertebrate animals have endocannabinoid systems, but you know that's not to say that they're all exactly the same. You know, so, for example, you know, one of the biggest examples that's used co- quite frequently, like I mentioned before, is that dogs have a high concentration of CD1 receptors in their cerebellum. You know, and we even see that there are differences potentially from patient to patient. Um, you know, for example, like in humans, you, know, uh, you may give uh, the, the same uh, product uh, for one person to try uh, and they get a certain response and then the other person that tries it gets a completely different response. Uh, one of the potential reasons for that is because there are differences in an in individual's endocannabinoid system. So the way that their genetics encode things, for example, like their cannabinoid receptors could be completely different from person A to person B. Um, and there are, have been some studies that have shown that to be the case. And so we know that even from, even within the same species, that there could be differences between uh, one patient and another patient. Um, and we definitely see that there is evidence that shows that, from one species to another species, the endocannabinoid system can be slightly different.
0: Hmm. Wow, super interesting. Um, I wonder when we'll get to a point where somebody will go into wherever some retail store or shop online and know exactly the type of product that they need to get. Um, Will that take, you know, like genetics or some sort of additional studies with a combination of terpenes and flavonoids and uh cannabinoids um i I think that would be pretty interesting but it seems like we're really far away from that yeah you
1: know I i think you're right on uh i think that's where it really gets down to personalized medicine is being able to understand the individual and how their genetics influence you know what specific formulation or what specific ratio or dose that they need you know say so say for example um you know one patient could need something that's like a, uh, you know a 10 part CBD to one part THC to one part CBG uh, to you know one part CBC formulation for their epilepsy uh, because of the way that their endocannabinoid system is coded. And and then another person, uh, who has the same condition may need a different formulation because of the way that their endocannabinoid system is encoded. So, you know, we can get down to personalized genetics and, you know, find specific formulations and dosages for individuals. Um, now how long that takes, you know, whether that's five years from now, whether that's 10, 20 years from now, um, you know, that's all up in the air, but, you know, I think that's certainly the right direction.
0: Yeah, I think that'll be pretty amazing because I think right now there's this failed expectations when it doesn't work for somebody, uh, especially because it's such a trending topic right now that somebody hears that, oh my gosh, you know, my, I don't know, brother just had a life changing benefit from this product and I tried it, it didn't do anything for me. And so when somebody gets to that point, they're like, oh, well, this is terrible. Um, but it might not, that might not be the case. Maybe they haven't been guided exactly on trying different types or maybe the right dosage um so like you're saying we're we could be really far off from that personalized um you know john smith needs these specific um combinations of of cannabinoids
1: right and you know we, we see that in terms of our understanding of the endocannabinoid system you know um when the endocannabinoid system was first discovered in the early 90s You know, we talked about, uh, you know, CB1 and then CB2 receptors as the uh, the endocannabinoid receptors, and now there's talk of a potential... Uh, CB three, um, which is a uh, a receptor called GPR fifty five. You know, some people think that this may be uh, the CB three receptor. Um, and then, you know, in terms of endocannabinoids, everyone talks about anandamide and 2AG because those were the two, first two endocannabinoids that were discovered that our own bodies produce. Uh, but in terms of you know the number of endocannabinoids that have been discovered thus far, we're up to something like five or six different endocannabinoids that we know that our own bodies produce. So, our understanding of the endocannabinoid system at this stage is still very elementary, and there's a lot to be uh, discovered over the next decade or two uh, and beyond that.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, I think that helps to answer a little bit of my question that that we were talking about earlier. So, as far as more research and just continuing to drill down and understanding more about these CB3 receptors possibly or um, just just a lot more information that we need to understand in order to be able to get more personalized. Um, So, let's see, Tim. I... Have a page full of notes here. I learned quite a bit. Thank you for sharing. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, how would you prefer that they go about that?
1: Well, they can visit our website. uh, They want to learn more about about what we do uh, at vetcbd.com or drshoespetcare.com. They want to get in touch with me personally. They can send an email to info@vetcbd.com. You know, happy to talk to anybody and everybody. Uh, You know, I love what we do. Love uh, you know sharing information and swapping ideas. Um, You know, this is such an exciting industry, and it's something that uh, you know I'm very fortunate to be a part of. Um, And so, you know, anyone that wants to get in touch with me and talk to me. i more than
0: happy to do so. Fantastic. Well, thank, Tim, thank you so much for sharing your insights with the world. Um, and I um, hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you so much, Jason. Hey guys. And before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day.